For hundreds of thousands of years, humans have stared up at, the, at their night sky in spectacular wonder, aligned with thousands of stars, some bright, uh, some faint, and five particular wonder, wanderers we all know now as planets. Uh, our human ancestors found great indulgence in the night sky. With the beautiful beams of light shining through the night, there shines uh, yet another less luminous band of haze that appears throughout the northern summer and a very faint band that appears throughout the northern winter. This diffuse and branching pattern of haze in the night sky came to be referred to in the western world as the Milky Way, whose name derived from a Greek myth about the goddess Hera, who sprayed milk, in meaning the haze of the Milky Way, throughout the night sky. Uh, on top of this, having seen the Milky Way in all its glory, I can say that it does look like a faint band of milk that stretches across the summer sky. Even when you get into November and the Milky Way core itself begins to set, you get the incredible Cygnus to Cassiopeia arch, uh, Milky Way arch of the night sky. Uh, depending on where you are, it could be up in the zenith, like it's near the zenith um, where I live, and... It is an incredible moment to be able to see it because it is honestly the most incredible haze you could ever possibly see in your entire life. Uh, th this is not only the only name the Milky Way takes on, though. Uh, some other na names include, uh, in China, the Silver River, um, and in the Kalahari Desert, the Backbone of the Night. Uh, one who has never seen the Milky Way can never begin to picture its profound effects on its observers. When I first saw the band of the Milky Way uh, a very long time ago, I, I thought the region of the sky I was looking at was simply hazy, or simply that it was foggy outside. I was confused by the haze. I thought that it was getting cloudy, and I was pretty sad, actually. Um, but upon imaging that same way of milk I considered haze, I realized that I had imaged the Milky Way. I actually was imaging the Cygnus region. So I was getting Deneb and uh, Vega in that image. I remember that image. It was the first image I ever got. I immediately posted to the uh, last remaining social media app I had. And uh, yeah, because I had to. It was the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my entire life. It was. I, it's still one of the best moments of my entire life. Outside of potentially outside of... Um, two other incredible times I've had under the night sky. But yeah, so since then, I have not let, not once let a clear night, especially in winter, pass me by. Um, I have ventured out and explored the heavens merely by looking up. Uh, this pristine wonder and curiosity that comes with the existence of galaxies cannot be underestimated. Many of us who first see galaxies through telescopes regard it as one of the most significant and spectacular moments of our entire lives. We are not alone. There are many galaxies just like ours, and potentially many lives just like ours. Well, there are already lives just like ours, but maybe on other planets. Uh, this first view is quite a humbling experience. Um, in this episode, because of this crazy introduction, we will be discussing some of the different classifications of galaxies. So in this episode, we will be discussing eight different classifications of galaxies uh, that have absolutely nothing to do with the Hubble sequence. If you know what the Hubble sequence is, it basically classifies... Uh, specific galaxies based on many different characteristics, generally just their appearance and meaning is a spiral, is it elliptical, 
um, what type of spiral is it, how elongated is it, um, how elliptical is it, like all based on all those crazy things. But the eight different classifications we shall uh, delve into today um, are the Bard Spiral Galaxy, the True Spiral, Gal spiral Galaxy, the L Super Luminous Spiral Galaxy, the Ring Galaxy, the Elliptical Galaxy, the Shell Galaxy, the Peculiar Galaxy, and the Dwarf Galaxy. There are many more than this, but I just wanted to cover these because they're the most interesting to me. I may make a new episode in the future, uh, drive from this, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, let's get into it. So we're gonna start with the true spiral galaxy. Uh, first, the Milky Way is not a true spiral galaxy. Uh, in the next classification, we will cover the true classification of the Milky Way will finally be uncovered. It is not a true spiral galaxy. It is a spiral galaxy, but not a true spiral galaxy. Spiral galaxies are the most common appearance of galaxies in the entire universe, primarily accounting for about 60% of the galaxies existing within the known universe. Uh, there are four classifications of spiral galaxies that will be covered in this episode. Uh, there's the true spiral galaxy, which we are discussing right now, the barred spiral, the superluminous spiral, and the ring galaxy. Uh, the true spiral galaxy is actually somewhat rare, rarer than the barred spiral galaxy, oddly enough, uh, which actually the barred spiral galaxy accounts for over two-thirds of the number of total spiral galaxies in the universe and about 40% of the total galaxies in the universe. The true spiral galaxy simply consists of a flat rotating disk that takes the shape of a, of a spiral with no bar in its central core. Um, it even almost looks like a pinwheel uh, with a super luminous center known as the central bulge. This bulge contains the supermassive black hole from which all the surrounding contents of the ga galaxy rotate. Um, and when seen straight down the edges, it can be seen uh, that the central bud bulge is the only region in which the galaxy appears three-dimensional. If you're looking from far away, it seems two-dimensional for a significant uh, amount of that galaxy for a significant length of that galaxy before you reach the central bulge. Um, basically, when looking at it in that specific way, it appears borderline two-dimensional, um, excluding the central bulge, of course, but obviously it's not necessarily two-dimensional. It's obviously three-dimensional, but still, it's interesting how it looks like that. Uh, the true spiral galaxy's bulge does not appear to be a, uh, a bar. Uh, which is why it is generally referred to as a true spiral galaxy rather than a barred spiral galaxy. Uh, so the formation hypothesis on the spiral galaxy, spiral galaxy is, well, I mean, the formation hypothesis on the spiral galaxy is very uh, not well known, let's just say it that way. Uh, the most widely accepted hypothesis surrounding the formation of true spiral galaxies is simply that the spirals developed from uh, pressure waves that exist in regions with more density than others. So just picture a spiral galaxy. Yeah, picture a spiral galaxy. Look at the spirals have more stars. They're more dense. So pressure waves or density waves are believed to emanate from them. And this is an attempt to solve a uh, problem that is known as the winding problem and it it basically states that after a few rotations of the galaxy the galaxy would condense basically into like a almost like an elliptical galaxy because because it doesn't spirals don't make sense with our current theories of gravity so even observational astronomy has its own crazy 
um, unknowns. So if, if you're if you don't like math but you want to go into astronomy, consider being a planetary scientist. I mean, they do a lot of math. They do a lot of math, but it's not quite quantum mechanics math. It's still it's still some pretty difficult math. But still, if you're not as big on math, go into planetary science. It's a really really interesting field. Um, and then there are some notable examples of the spiral galaxies, of course, the true spiral galaxies. Um, I think of the Pinwheel Galaxy, or Messier 101, um, in the constellation Ursa Major, and also Messier 33, uh, the Triangulum Galaxy, which I've actually somewhat imaged before in the constellation Triangulum. So the Bard Spiral Galaxy, which is the next one we're going to talk about, is what the Milky Way is classified as. Um, it's basically the same thing as a true spiral galaxy, except for the fact that its uh, its central bulge appears to look like a sandbar almost. Like, so you know how the like the central bulge of a spiral galaxy is like kind of like a really luminous brown. It's it's almost like a luminous brown. It actually reminds me of sand uh, that is reflect that is reflecting uh, equatorial sunlight in a way. Like it's illuminated significantly and a barred spiral galaxy it takes the appearance of something of a sandbar in a way so that's basically the difference between a true spiral and a barred spiral now the formation hypothesis on the barred spiral is a little different than the true galaxy spirals uh the true spiral galaxies uh hypothesized origin but it's still similar um the only notable differences I can actually re recollect myself is that the central bar appearance acts as a stellar nursery in the galaxy, uh, which could potentially indicate that barred spiral galaxies are younger than other spiral galaxies. So maybe the true spiral galaxies are more mature, are matured over those barred spiral galaxies, even though the true spiral galaxies in, the, in, of themself, in and of themselves are young compared to the ellipticals. Well, some ellipticals, not all. We'll get into that. Um, but yeah, so they just have more star-forming gases in this region, um, and star-forming gases are hydrogen. It's all hydrogen. Um, but yeah, so the Bard central bulge is believed to derive from density wave theory, in this case being a density wave that radiates from the central bulge and alters the orbits of inner stars, thus causing it to appear more so like a bar rather than merely a rounded region. Um, so a vast majority of the spiral galaxies we know and love are barred spiral galaxies, uh, most notably the Milky Way and Messier 31, the Andromeda Galaxy, in the constellation Andromeda. Fun fact, it actually used to be considered the Andromeda Nebula. They used to call them Spiral Nebula. Uh, that doesn't exist anymore because now we realize that those, those nebula we considered Spiral Nebula are so far away that they could not possibly be within the bounds of the Milky Way Galaxy. That's, again, Hubble's discovery. Hubble made a lot of really incredible discoveries. Definitely look him up. This episode is basically based on every single thing he did in his life. Because we wouldn't even know the galaxies existed if it weren't for his discoveries. Or for the discoveries that he made specifically. Um, but yeah, so the next one we're going to go to is the superluminous spiral galaxy. Uh, so it's another type of spiral galaxy. Um, and yeah, <laughs> that's basically it. No, uh, there, there, there are some significant other differences in it um but this the thing about this spiral uh, type of spiral galaxy was that it was really recently discovered uh we actually only discovered it in 2016 which 
as of writing this, I wrote this on January 24th, 2021, and it was published on January 26th, 2016, which was not even five years before I made this episode. So think about that. This is an insanely new discovery. That is really short. Like I was in middle school when that happened. Not quite. Oh yeah, no, I was in middle school. No, no, I was in fifth grade. Never mind. Um, but yeah, so I mean, these galaxies are new. They're very little understood yet. But right now, the big difference with them is that they are massive. They they're so large and have such active uh, galactic nuclei, which we'll discover uh, we will discover and speak of later. Um, that they are just insane. They they can't even be they have to be classified as their own type of classification. So they are. <laughs> They're considered the superluminous because they are much brighter and much larger. They actually compare with the massive ellipticals that dominate the largest galaxies of the universe. Uh, the formation hypothesis on this is still pretty pretty disputed, but it, it's it's pretty uh, well understood, at, le at least compared to other spiral galaxies. Now, it follows the same... Uh, traits of gaining the spirals that the um, that the uh, sparred spirals and true spirals derive from as well. But the big difference with it is that um, four of the 53 uh, superluminous spiral galaxies that have been discovered have double galactic nuclei, and meaning that their central bulges are composed of not one, but two supermassive black holes. This is a telltale sign that these massive galaxies originated from the simple merging, merging of two younger galaxies. If it occurred in only one of the 53, it wouldn't be so striking, but the fact that it occurred in four leads one to conclude that these massive galaxies originated from galactic mergers, and this is very, this is very frequent in this episode. You will see it often. While obviously rare, these names will not strike you and stimulate uh, your memory, so these, these are very uh, new and under not well-known galaxies, and they're pretty far away, so you probably don't know them. So some examples of this are SD, SDSS J0947.08 plus 25 4045.7 and 2 MFGC 08638. The first massive uh, number classification is based on right ascension, right ascension and declination. And the second, I have honestly no idea how it was classified. But that should tell you that these are still very new objects because they haven't even had a formal classification in, like, the new general catalog. Well, I mean, we don't even have the new general catalog. We don't really... Uh, I don't think we add anything onto the NGC anymore, but we might. I'm not really sure yet. Um, but yeah, so the next one we're going to go to is the Ring Galaxy. Uh, the Ring Galaxy is the fourth classification of the Spiral Galaxy that we will discuss... Uh, discover and cover today, uh, the classification itself is quite self-explanatory. The galaxy appears to resemble a ring with a very skinny finger in the middle. Uh, the ring galaxy is quite similar to other spiral galaxies, mainly in the respect of its age and maturity. Uh, ring galaxies, again, are quite young, generally being mainly composed of massive and young blue giants. Uh, furthermore, the ring galaxy is essentially a haven for stellar nurseries. Uh, as these nurseries are new, are, are very numerous um, in ring galaxies compared to other spiral galaxies. So this indicates that uh, the ring galaxies are likely younger than other spiral galaxies. 
Uh, the central bulge in a ring galaxy is much less luminous than in other spiral galaxies. Also, the uh, increased amount of star-forming gas could indicate... Um, uh, the haven for stellar nurseries could indicate another thing, but we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, so the central bulge in a ring galaxy is much less luminous than another spiral galaxy that said this. Um, and generally, it's because of decreased star formation and decreased star counts in the central region. Uh, surrounding the bulge is a halo of luminous young stars and stellar nurseries that form that beautiful blue-purple ring. Uh, so the formation hypothesis on the ring galaxy is quite interesting, honestly. Uh, it, it's believed... Uh, to be, it's basically believed to be that um, a ring galaxy is formed simply when a smaller galaxy passes through the center of a larger galaxy, which creates a ring-like appearance. I mean, it's possible, but again, this is very disputed. Uh, this hypothesis is very disputed and, again, remains loose and incohesive. So as of now, like many other galactic classifications, the origin of this galaxy remains a mystery. Uh, some notable examples of ring galaxies include Hogg's Object, a ring galaxy in the constellation Serpens, and the Cartwheel Galaxy, which is a another con uh, which is another ring galaxy which resides in the constellation Sculptor. Now that we have exited the realm of the young, luminous, and immature spiral galaxies, sorry for my uh, voice crack, <laughs> it is time that we look into the aging galaxies, often known as the elliptical galaxies. They're not always aging, but I said it anyways. Uh, we will cover the general elliptical galaxy and the shell galaxy, both, both of which lack star-forming material and are much older than their spiral galaxy counterparts. Uh, the name elliptical refers to the shape of the galaxies. Uh, elliptical galaxies are literally shaped like footballs. They, they look like they appear to be ellipticals. Uh, they're also unique from spiral galaxies in the fact that they do not rotate like spiral galaxies do. Um, basically, the stars residing uh, within elliptical galaxies have very eccentric and elongated orbits around the supermassive black hole in the center of the galaxy. As a result, the shape of the elliptical galaxy takes form. Uh, it's also really because the stars traveling at higher speeds within the galaxy will travel, travel further out the galaxy before the gravity of the supermassive black hole in the inner part of the galaxy stops that uh, star from going out. So it's obviously more elongated. So while an elliptical galaxy's diameter may, not, may be comparable to the size of the Milky Way, it's still way larger. Way larger. But yeah. Uh, they also lack stellar nurseries because generally they're either older or they've already used up all their star-forming galaxies in a period known as starburst. We'll discuss that pretty frequently. Um, so the elliptical galaxy has an interesting formation uh, hypothesis that is thankfully somewhat more credible and obvious than spiral galaxies, whose winding problems still plague astronomers to this day. Um, elliptical galaxies are believed to have formed as a result of two different events. Uh, the first event is the galactic merger, which generally does form the giant um, and some of the average-sized elliptical, elliptical galaxies that exist within the universe. 
For example, when the Andromeda Galaxy, or Messier 31, which we've discussed earlier, collides with the Milky Way in a few billion years, the two galaxies will combine to form a massive elliptical galaxy, probably about 240,000 light years or so in diameter, known as Milk Andromeda. The plausible explanation for smaller elliptical, elliptical galaxies is that they were uh, they experience a gravitational collapse of a massive interstellar gas cloud. All of that gas being used to create stars and none of the gas being left over to form a disk completely uh, made of star-forming material that, that is even somewhat made of star-forming material. So, yeah, uh, basically over time the stars age, limited star formation occurs, and an elliptical galaxy is born. So some notable galaxies include the largest galaxy in the universe, known galaxy in the universe, IC 1101 in the constellation Virgo, and you can probably see that through a good telescope. I'm um, in another massive but closer elliptical galaxy known as Messier 87, also in the constellation Virgo. Uh, the Virgo constellation is the galactic Neverland, no question. It's definitely the galactic Neverland. It's quite incredible there, actually. So then we'll talk about the key, the not the key, the shell galaxy. Uh, the shell galaxy is the second type of elliptical galaxy to be covered today. Uh, shell galaxies can be larger than traditional elliptical galaxies, as they can uh, only form. They can form through only galactic collisions. That's the big difference there. Uh, shell galaxies can still contain star-forming gas again because they do not form through quick star formation and rapid use of star-forming gas. Uh, they too are elliptical galaxies, though they re resemble an egg shell. They cannot take the form of a 2D ellipses. Ellipse. I mean, it's not really 2D, but yeah. Uh, shell galaxies are essentially a subcategory of the umbrella term that is an elliptical galaxy. There are many different types of elliptical galaxies, but we're just covering the regular general elliptical and the shell. Uh, the shell galaxy is somewhat more organized than other elliptical galaxies. Instead of having random stars forming a haze that surrounds a ma supermassive black hole, shell galaxies actually form in concentric sh uh, shells, mainly composed of stars um, around its core. So that basically is hence the name shell in that situation. They're quite interesting looking. I've actually seen one, I've actually imaged one, a shell galaxy myself. And you can see those concentric shells. I mean, it's not as, it's not as, uh, obvious in the one that I imaged, but there are some really obvious examples. Um, it is believed that shell galaxies formed as a result of galactic uh, collision, as I said earlier, as do many giant elliptical galaxies. It is believed that when the smaller companion galaxy collides with the larger galaxy, the two central cores containing the black holes oscillate around a central point, as all, as all rotating black holes uh, black holes that are rotating another black hole and about to collide with another black hole do. Um, and these oscillations create gravitational ripples. Uh, think of gravitational waves from episode 20 uh, that form the concentric shells of stars that are noticeable in shell galaxies. Uh, the, no the most notable example of a shell galaxy is Centaurus A, uh, whose Hubble images are absolutely incredible. I actually have a print that is right behind me of the shell galaxy Centaurus A. Um, and then there's also the, um, there's also NGC 3923, which is the best shell galaxy in terms of uh, showing, showcasing those concentric shells uh, in the constellation Hydra.
So the last two that we're going to discuss are almost classifications in, of, in and of themselves. Uh, so the first one we're going to discuss is the Peculiar Galaxy. Uh, the Peculiar Galaxy is a galactic classification that classifies galaxies having unusual shapes and appearances into two different subcategories. Uh, the first are the interacting galaxies, and the second are the active galactic nuclei. Uh, the first of these is known as interacting galaxies simply because the galaxy portrays two galaxies interacting with one another. Uh, often when astronomers say galaxies interacting with one another, they mean that multiple galaxies in the midst... Uh, they, they mean that basically there are multiple galaxies uh, that are in the midst of galactic collision. Uh, interacting galaxies can also be galaxies whose satellites' gravities affect the spiral arms of a spiral galaxy. I, I think of Messier 51, the Whirlpool Galaxy. It has a very obvious uh, companion galaxy that undoubtedly affects its gravity. Um, basically, this is uh, when interacting galaxies are uh, affecting... Like, when interacting galaxies uh, in which... The uh, a small satellite galaxy is affecting the gravity of the arms of the spiral galaxy. It's known as a minor. Uh, it, it's known as a minor interaction in a peculiar galaxy. Um, an, an example of a major interaction is a galactic collision, which often results in galactic mergers. Uh, the other subcategory of peculiar galaxies is what is known as AGN, which is a pseudonym for active galactic nuclei. An active galactic nucleus can be contained within a galaxy of any type. Um, it could be a spiral galaxy, a lenticular galaxy, which we didn't discuss today, an elliptical galaxy, or any other classification of a galaxy. Uh, the postmark feature of an active galactic nucleus is an abnormally luminous central core. An AGN galaxy consists of a uh, central core that is exceptionally and unusually bright in at least a portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, this could be anywhere from gamma rays to radio waves. Uh, for example, the radio galaxy we discussed last episode are a type of active galactic, nu uh, galactic nuclei, and I actually alluded to this episode in that episode, uh, that are luminous in the radio portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. Um, even quasars and blazars, which are much further away than other AGN, are considered extremely luminous subtypes of active galactic nuclei. They are galaxies in and of themselves. Uh, the main hypothesis for the formation of peculiar galaxies is the simple concept of galactic mergers. There's a significant amount of evidence that suggests that this hypothesis is correct. Uh, first is the fact that peculiar galaxies often contain active galactic nuclei, which indicates that they have supermassive black holes that result from galactic mergers, because it is very hard to create such a massive galactic nucle uh, nucleus with such with one galaxy. It normally takes multiple galaxies. Like, elliptical galaxies are often known to have active galactic nuclei, and they often, uh, specifically giant ones, they often are formed specifically through galactic mergers. Um, additionally, there's the fact that uh, peculiar galaxies are slightly bluer in color than other types of galaxies, indicating that they are experiencing a period of galactic evolution known as starburst. Uh, another ex an example of a galaxy going through starburst, and I su suggest you look it up, is Messier 82, or the Cigar Galaxy. Uh, the period of starburst often occurs in the uh, midst of a galactic merger. 
So basically, a period of starburst is a is a time. It's very self-explanatory, actually. Uh, it's basically a time in which there is a significant amount of uh, star formation. It's very, uh, in a way, it's very, very dangerous, very risky. Not not necessarily risky, but it's uh, very unstable because it, it, normally the period of uh, of this starburst lasts for only a few million years, for like 30 million years, and then at, at some point you just run out of gas, galactic gas, and at that point you're facing elliptical galaxies. So it, it's a very unstable period in a galaxy's life, and it doesn't happen all the time. It only happens during galactic merger, mergers and other special situations. Um, it makes sense that Starburst occurs during uh, galactic mergers simply because of gravity and the tidal forces that result from it. Uh, with a typical galaxy that is not experiencing mergers, interstellar dust within that galaxy doesn't deal with many uh, tidal forces or gravitational imbalances. Uh, during galactic merger, the interstellar gas most certainly does deal with these forces, and as a result, many molecular clouds collapse, many stars form, and many periods of starburst begin. Um, a great example of the subcategory of peculiar galaxies uh, are known as uh, that are known as interacting galaxies are the antennae galaxies uh, NGC 4038 and 4039 in the constellation Corvus. Um, an example of a peculiar galaxy uh, subcategory known as the AGN is Messier 87, a supergiant elliptical galaxy that has an active galactic nucleus. Uh, we actually discussed M87 earlier in this episode somewhat like some notable uh, examples of the elliptical are Messier 87 and Messier 87 is a uh, massive elliptical and it also has an AGN um, so the last subcategory the last classification we're going to discuss in this episode is the dwarf galaxy uh, the dwarf galaxy can be essentially any type of galaxy that could possibly exist the only big thing is that it is smaller that's literally the only difference. I don't even have to explain a single thing. It is just small. That that's like it's ba it's entirely based on size. If it's small enough, it's a dwarf galaxy. That depends on the type of galaxy. So if it's an elliptical galaxy, it may be slightly larger than the Milky Way, something like that, than than a spiral galaxy. But it it, it depends on the type. Um, and then also, uh, also. Dwarf galaxies comprise most of the galaxies in the universe because remember they can be any type of galaxy so most of them are spiral galaxies but they still uh, compose most of the uh, galaxies in the entire universe. Um, so dwarf galaxies basically form the same way that any other galaxy would form. The only difference would be that with the elliptical galaxies it probably doesn't form through galactic mergers but rather through a simple collapse of interstellar clouds so quickly to a period of starburst that starburst uh, dies out and results in an elliptical galaxy. But yeah, um, some notable examples of dwarf galaxies include the satellites of the Milky Way galaxy, uh, and meaning the large and small Magellanic clouds, which are both the two brightest galaxies in the entire night sky. The large Magellanic cloud has a magnitude of plus one, indicating that it is quite bright. Um, but yeah, uh, and then there's also the... Uh, then there's also the satellite of the Andromeda Galaxy, for example, Messier 110. There's also Messier 32, and there are many other satellites in the Milky Way and in the Andromeda Galaxy and in pretty much every other galaxy on the in the universe, especially in 
in galaxy clusters and other places. I'm also thinking about the I'm also thinking about the Messier 51 satellite galaxy among many others. But yeah, so that's basically all the classifications we have. Uh, so the image accompanying accompanying the uh, this podcast episode is Centaurus A. It is the Hubble image that I discussed earlier about Centaurus A. Uh, I found this image to be particularly inspiring and humbling. Uh, like, here lies a galaxy tens of millions of light years away, teeming with stars, stellar nurseries, gases, nebulae, uh, solar systems, and many other things, uh, many of which are similar to the solar system. Um, and then many of which are similar to nebulae, stellar nurseries, and stars we know, watch, and love. Uh, to think that there are likely trillions of galaxies that contain similar properties within merely the observable universe is incredibly humbling. We in the great solar system that birthed us are merely one of many, not one of only. A lot more lies out there that we have yet to discover, and a lot more lies out there that we have yet to explore. Uh, thank you all for listening, as always. Uh, have a good morning, afternoon, evening, and night. Uh, take care and stay curious.